Jesus and his disciples were on their way north from Jerusalem to Galilee. It was high noon, they'd already been walking for hours, and they stopped at a well outside a small village in Samaria. Tired, hungry, and thirsty, the disciples went into town to find food and left Jesus remaining behind at the well. This well was deep. We're told that more than, the water's more than 100 feet below the surface. And even though Jesus was thirsty, he didn't have a long rope, he didn't have a bucket to, lay, to let down to get a drink. And then he saw a woman making her way up the path toward the, from the village. When she saw him, she hesitated. As she came closer, she grew even more cautious. From his dress and his accent, she knew that he was a Jew. She knew that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans like her. Samaritans had broken away from Judah hundreds of years before, intermarrying with their ethnic neighbors. To say that Jews looked down on Samaritans was an understatement. They despised them, feeling superior to them in every single way. They viewed Samaritans as ethnic half-breeds, as morally compromised, and as religiously impure. This poor woman knew how a good Jew like this man viewed her. And immediately, she felt insecure and defensive. But there was more, more than just an ethnic and religious barrier between her and him. There was also the added barrier of gender. You see, a Middle Eastern man wasn't supposed to talk publicly with a woman. A respectable man wasn't even supposed to look at one, let alone carry on an extended conversation. For a good Jewish man, contact with a woman like this who was not his wife, would make him unclean. That may give you an idea of how surprised she was when suddenly he said to her, will you give me a drink? At first, she wasn't certain that she'd heard right. Was he really talking to her? It took her a moment to respond. She was surprised, and she finally answered and blurted out the first thing that she thought of. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus wasn't following the social rules of the day. Instead of ignoring her or speaking to her disrespectfully, he asked her for a drink. She'd never heard of anyone doing that before. But if she was surprised by his request, she was then confused by what he said next. If you knew the gift of God, he said, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him for, and he would have given you, living water. Living water? What's he talking about? The only thing that could, she could think of is that often living water or water was referred to as living if it was fresh running water in a spring or a brook or a, a river, as opposed to water that came from a well or a pond that could grow stagnant. But it turned out that Jesus wasn't referring to physical water at all, but speaking metaphorically. The living water that he was talking about signified the spiritual life that came from a relationship with God. This living water, Jesus was saying, comes as a gift of God by faith, no matter their gender, geography, racial, or moral background. And yet she still doesn't get what he's saying. Where can I go to get this living water? You don't even have a bucket or a rope. Ignoring her confusion, he kept going. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks this water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She still doesn't get it. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
So he's offering her spiritual living water that will quench the deep needs in her life. And she's still thinking about H2O and imagining what it would be like to have a water source that she could tap into from her own home. It's then that Jesus takes the conversation in an unexpected and for her an unwanted direction. You see, there was something else about this woman beyond ethnicity and gender, something that was not obvious, at least to the naked eye, and certainly something she hoped would not come up. You see, this is a woman with secrets, a woman with a past. Unfortunately, everyone in town knew it, although no one else would if they hadn't lived there. For her, it was a source of pain and embarrassment. There was no way that this stranger, this righteous Jew, could know about all of this, and she wasn't about to mention it. But then suddenly, without warning, it was out. Go, he said, call your husband and come back. She was horrified, embarrassed, and humiliated, so surprised that she blurted out the truth, at least part of it, saying, I have no husband, attempting at least to save some face. That's right, Jesus said. The fact is that you have five husbands, have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. Now it was all out, her checkered past, her five failed marriages, her current live-in partner, And now, just like everyone in town, this stranger was judging her. Now, it wasn't unheard of in those days for a woman to have had more than one husband. For example, the the life expectancy around the time was around 40 years. So, plenty of women had lost a husband to illness or accident, even divorce. The Jews, though, had a social convention, and that was that you were allowed to marry three times, but no more. And this woman is technically on her her sixth husband beyond the limit. So you can imagine what her life might have been like, the constant gossip in the village. She couldn't walk through town without people whispering behind her back. So what happened to the first five men? We don't know. One or more of them could have died or left her. Perhaps she drove them away or she'd been unfaithful and they had divorced her or vice versa. The only clue we have that her behavior was questionable is that she came to draw water from the well in the middle of the day. Typically, women came early in the morning or late in the day when it was cooler, and they came together for protection as well as to socialize. But this woman woman didn't want to see the others, and frankly, they probably didn't want to see her. So she came alone. It was just easier that way. To be fair, we don't have the full story. Women through the centuries have suffered in much the same way as she did. It's possible that it was her fault, but it also could have been that she was the victim of abuse. Likely, it was a mixture of both. She'd probably had negative experiences with men that fed some destructive patterns as she reached out in desperation for love from those who ended up, in turn, mistreating her. She, nonetheless, had experienced loss and rejection in ways that had deeply scarred her emotionally. She was trapped by her history with nowhere to go. And now this stranger has ripped off the band-aid, and it's all out. No more secrets with him. Now, she may have been so jaded that she wondered if Jesus was just like all the others. Maybe he'd try to take advantage of her like other men had in the past. Now, it might seem like Jesus is being insensitive here, here to reveal her deepest secrets. And it's true, he caught her off guard, and it must have been initially painful for her to admit all that had been going on. But in another way, Jesus showed her compassion. By bringing it out in the open, she could finally deal with it all. 
It's easy to live with some degree of denial about what we're really like. To experience spiritual growth, though, we need to understand first who God is, and then we need to see clearly who we are. After the initial shock, she no longer seemed embarrassed or ashamed. Perhaps she was even relieved. She knew her life was a mess, but she senses Jesus' love for her. She realized that he didn't intend to humiliate her, but to point her to grace and to hope. If you're stuffing something that you're struggling with, something that you've done that's eating you up from the inside, it's important to get it out. Maybe confess it to a trusted friend. And your issue might not be sex. It might be gossip, greed, or anger. Whatever it is, don't keep stuffing it. In order for Jesus to transform you, it needs to be out in the open. When Jesus shines the light on our lives, he helps us to reorder our priorities and frees us from destructive life patterns. You see, the transformation that's taking place in her by what she says next to Jesus when she says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. And then she asks Jesus a contentious question about a conflict between Jews and Samaritans at the time. We don't have time to go into it, but Jesus answers her questions, although she doesn't fully understand. What she really wants to know here is how she can find God. So she tells Jesus this. She says, when the Messiah comes, he will have the answer. That's right, Jesus says. And by the way, I am he. You want to find God, he says, look to me. Now, we're not told how she verbally responded to Jesus, but we see what she does because she leaves the water jar at the well and we're told, went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This brief encounter with Jesus has transformed this woman, so much so that she set aside these feelings of guilt and shame and invited everyone in town to meet him and to experience what she had. What happened? Well, it says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now, earlier, I skipped a line, a line that's at the very beginning of the story in verse 4, when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. I mentioned earlier the geography of Israel, where Jerusalem is at the bottom of the country in the south, and Galilee is at the top, and in between is Samaria. And so, to go from north to south, the shortest way is to go straight through Samaria. But not everyone went that way. Some would instead head west toward the ocean, taking a road that took them around Samaria in order to avoid contact with anyone from that country. Why? Well, why did Jesus then choose to take the shortest route? Well, perhaps in part because it was shortest. But the implication is that there's something else that compelled Jesus to go that way. You see, going that way led him to that place called Jacob's Well. And at Jacob's well, he met this Samaritan woman, and from there, the story unfolds. It seems he was prompted by the Spirit to go that way, that that encounter was a divine encounter. It's worth reflecting on how the story ends, because here's a woman so trapped by the past that she's living life as a social outcast, not even comfortable showing her face in public. 
And then she meets Jesus, and by the end of the conversation, she's so utterly transformed that she completely loses her sense of shame and tells everyone who will listen about him. From that point on, she doesn't seem to care what other people think, only what Jesus thinks. So you can imagine that perhaps the next day, she went to the well early in the morning with all the other women. After Jesus left town, maybe they started to treat her differently. After all, she was the one who brought them to the living water that Jesus had offered to her. What she learned is that Jesus is no ordinary man. And what he taught her is that she was no ordinary woman. Even though Jesus knew her story, he didn't condemn her. Instead, he looked her in the eye, treated her like a human being, someone precious and deeply loved. And she began to hope again. Her story, as sordid as it was, began to be redeemed as Jesus offered her the living water that satisfied her thirsty soul. At the heart of all of this is a fundamental truth, and that is that we're all thirsty for something, a thirst that only Jesus can satisfy. The good news is that Jesus of Jesus starts with some bad news, that like this Samaritan woman, we are more sinful and broken than we ever would care to admit. And yet at the same time, we are so deeply loved and cherished, more than we ever have imagined or dared to hope. We have a God who has made us with the desire to know not just facts about Him, but to know God in an intimate and personal way. That means that Christian faith isn't just an argument to agree with, but a person that we can know by faith. Nothing else can satisfy the longings of our hearts. To put God at the center of our lives is to lose nothing and to gain everything. Let's pray. Father, some here today feel as far from you as the woman at the well did before Jesus showed up. And I pray that you would show them what you showed her, that you're never far away, and that to you we are precious and deeply loved. Father, may we also follow Jesus' example and reach out in love to others. Help us live lives that are so compelling that many will want to know your Son as we do. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus, in whom we find that living water. Amen.